clap? Shall we clap? The internet is very close to each other. Uh, close. Here between Banff and Calgary. <laughs> uh, hi, Vicky. Hey, Jacob. <laughs> How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Good. Uh, we're starting, and you are, dear audience, listening to the Urgy podcast uh, with myself, uh, Jacob Simmer. And with me, Vicky Stroich. Yes. And, and today we are, we tried to record live together, um, but we had a failure of memory space uh, in the digital sense. Yes. So we are, rec- we are recording from nearby each other. Uh, I'm in Banff this for the past couple of weeks and Vicky, you're in, as, as more common, you're in Calgary. Yes. At my kitchen table, looking at out the window. Table. Oh, nice. I'm, uh, I am at, in my hotel room table, looking at the window. Mm-hmm. Your view is probably a lot nicer <laughs> than the view I have of my back alley. Oh, Although yeah. it, you know, a lot of interesting things happen in the back alley. So, yeah. yeah, there's just there's less elk. Less elk. I don't have any elk in my immediate view, but mm. um, I, I wait. Have wait for it. Wait for, wait it. for it. It's the great thing here, where you know you're doing serious talk about the future of leadership, and then everyone goes elk and wanders over the window, and mm-hmm. any serious conversation that you were having turns into elk. Yeah, I remember once at the Banff Playwrights Colony, um, <clears throat> we were doing a we were doing a reading or something like that, and I think an elk, an elk like sort of charged someone outside the window, so it wasn't a peaceful elk encounter, and all of us were like, <gasps> because we were like, there's real drama happening out there. Yeah, there was there was drama happening in 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 our room as well, but it was like, oh my god, and everyone just took a collective breath in. And and everything turned like and security was there, so everything turned out to be okay. But I just remember like all there we there was no going back after that moment, right? Where we almost saw somebody trampled by an elk. <laughs> <clears throat> there was suddenly suddenly our little the little the little play we were reading didn't seem so important all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So we had to shake it off, shake yeah. it off. That's the that's the that that is the those are the stakes that nature can bring. It's true. Yeah, I. This is the first time that I've. Well, I guess I was here in. I was here in September, but there wasn't. There seems to be more conversation about bears in the early spring. Like I guess it's just you got to get used to. Yeah, they're waking up. They're 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 groggy. They're groggy. They're a little cranky. They're hungry. Yeah, they're like I've been sleeping and now I'm up. Oh, it's bright out here. Mm -hmm. Smells everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean they're. Who are those people I can eat? Yeah. Um, they haven't had their they haven't had their post hibernation coffee yet. I know. I yeah. I can't imagine how long that would take. Um, but you know, I haven't seen any of those either. Mm-hmm. For, for the bear fearful among you, I, I, it's been safe. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I, I, when I was when I was working out at Banff, I answered a lot of questions from participants about wildlife. Which right. was not my ex- my area of expertise. It was dramaturgy. <laughs> um, but you were expected to know a lot about I bears. I was expected to know a lot about bears and a lot about um, uh, the particular First Nations spirituality of that place okay. as well, right. which is yeah. the, the energy lines. And yeah, I talked a lot a lot more about that often than I talked about, say, narrative structure. Um, <laughs> but that's part of the fun of hosting up there. Yeah. And now, now I find that I'm. 
now that I surf, I answer a lot of questions about sharks, which again, not right. my area of expertise. <laughs> but I like, I mean, it's, it's almost a, a, a like our, our fear is so intense about like we focus on the fear stuff so yeah. often of like oh, water. Oh, sharks. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah. That's usually where things tend to go. So, and, oh, uh, what's the the thing here around cougars? Like, if you see a cougar, it's too late for you have to have done anything. Yeah, cougars are because <laughs> that, was they... the, that was the nicest thing out of the Jim Oliver tour was, which is uh, if anyone has been to Banff, you probably know Jim. Yes. And if anyone uh, is on Twitter around Banff in any way, uh, you mm-hmm. probably know Jim. But he he does the tour around Banff and. And uh, yeah, that if you can see or hear a cougar, the cougar has already made a series of choices. Yes. That put you in a very bad situation because yeah. mostly you just shouldn't be hearing or seeing. <laughs> yeah, no, cougars are cougars are the thing to actually to actually fear. Except they, you know, it's it's pretty it's pretty rare usually. But yeah, yeah. they're um, you don't just bumble upon a cougar. They. They track you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you yeah. are not. You are not the tracker in that. No, in no, that thing. far from it. Anyways, but yes, these are all the fears that people have that I then have never seen. Mm-hmm. I've seen people get probably a little closer than is advised to the elk for their selfie. Yeah, yeah. Is there a? I bet there's an internet of like selfies taken just before person charged by animal instantly. there probably is there's probably a tumblr somewhere yeah, exactly just of that yeah just okay. as uh, hey look at uh what yeah 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 although i guess only the ones that ended at least okay mm-hmm. i would hate to think that this no i would i would hate to think so us. too good <laughs> lord <laughs> my goodness yeah Sorry. Yeah, I don't yeah. mean to laugh at the snuff tumblers. Um, oh my gosh! <laughs> um, I've never th- how's your yeah. How's your work going up there? It's going very well. I'm uh, to fill in. I'm I, last week was the a conversation, a series of conversations that uh, the Banff Center, La- Peter Lougheed Leadership Institute, uh, is is running to. Think about what they could do in the future. What what can the Leadership Institute do up here that might be different than what the other people in that leadership world are doing? I think uh, Dan, Dan, whose last name I'm forgetting because I'm like that. Uh, we'll find him in the show yeah, notes later. We'll find later. him in the show notes. Um, is the, the vice president in charge of uh, the... P-L-L-I. And uh, so I think his, he's got questions about, you know, what's next and, and a little bit of concern that the, the leadership sector is ripe for some kind of uh, disruption. As like a paradigm shift? Like, yeah, some kind of paradigm shift. I mean, the, you know, the fear in any of these businesses is that someone's going to release an app and or a series of videos that takes, you know, a lot of what they used to do, which would be sort of basic skills training mm-hmm. that can be delivered for not very much money. Mm. And 
And anywhere. And anywhere and to anyone. Mm -hmm. So, which is amazing. Um, that sort of distribution availability is potentially a great thing and potentially something, why can't Banff be very good at that mm. uh, and do that in a way that aligns with the values. So what are those ways? Um, mm -hmm. It's interesting. I mean, in th like theater, thinking about, uh, he talked, Dan talks about it on a scale of fidelity. Mm. So something is... A high fidelity experience would be coming to the Banff Center for seven days, going on a bunch of trips through the you know, through the woods and having a lot of transformational experiences, right? So that's uh -huh. a high fidelity experience for somebody coming here. Um and and working on on leadership. And then what's the potential for low fidelity ones? Uh so light touch which I like a little bit more than low fidelity because people are like, that's, that's bad, right? And as a 90s lo-fi guy, I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> low fidelity yeah. is great. Um, I grew up on low fidelity. And so, yeah, so what are the low fidelity touches, light touches that, that can help people be better at leadership. I mean, and, and if I'm if I'm hedging around weird language, it's it's partially because the week was also spent in a lot of the conversations about leadership as relational. Mm. Uh, so leadership is like you know, leadership is happening in a room when you come in and there's a clear focus and people feel engaged with agency. So we can talk about the the characteristics that evidence leadership. Mm -hmm. And how we know that leadership is happening, but we're not trying to train better superheroes. And it's not about bringing, finding a few, you know, bright future stars and making them, making them even, even better at their jobs so they can go and, and stand on the, on the mountain and have everyone settle in nicely around them, right? It's a, it's a way that we're trying to think about uh, or trying to think about what, what is a decentralized or distributed network of leadership. Here's a question that yep. I have. <clears throat> now, when you're in these rooms and when you're talking about leadership mm -hmm. with a group of people who are, who are there because they want to gather some capacity or reflect on their own experiences, um, is there... Is there an ex is there an expectation of of um, of, of, pr of privacy? I mean, do people mm -hmm. admit things <laughs> about how they feel they've done or not done, or or does or is everyone or, or is there is or is there? I guess well, the other question I have is when people sit down, are they actively or at least for a while um, trying to cast themselves as superheroes, infallible <laughs> superheroes of leadership awesomeness? Um, uh, it, and you know, do people ad do, do people admit to mistakes or deficiencies? I'm just sort of curious about mm -hmm. because honesty uh, yeah. is a really valuable characteristic, yeah. um, and I think a valuable characteristic of of leadership. But it can sometimes be a bit difficult, particularly if you are perceiving yourself as a leader or feel like you're there to be a leader, to actually be a fallible human being. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I can't. I don't want to speak to 
the program delivery here because I haven't done it actually. I mean, that's in one of my weird positions here and one that I want to adjust at least by watching some programs or participating in them as a participant actually rather than as, as a facilitator is that most of the work that I've done here is design work and or in these sort of think tank moments rather mm. than uh, where people are paying for service, right? One yeah. of the, you know, one of the things Banff does is open registration courses. Bunches of people come here to do a leadership by design or leading from the middle or some of the programs that have been offered up here. Um, I, but I do think certainly we talked a great deal in the group that I was in. We talked a lot about that issue and about uh, what we were calling the incomplete leader um, and understanding oneself as incomplete and, and, and how to do exactly what you're saying, how to admit that. What are the potentials for admitting that you don't have all the answers? Uh, that that inside a lot of structures, there's an assumption that the appointed leader should should have answers, or should at least pretend to, and that's dangerous, right? I mean, I, from from very old school notions from tech theater, I was we were, you know, if we got an answer wrong on a test, we got it doubly wrong, as opposed to leaving it blank, um, mm. <laughs> because we were trying to be taught that if you are hanging things from the ceiling over people's heads, you shouldn't be guessing at an answer. You shouldn't right. be pretending that you are smarter than mm. uh, you physics. are. Yeah, than physics. Uh, so, so we talked a lot about, about that. And, and I think in Hope Decoded, which is then the program that's uh, starting tomorrow in earnest, which is bringing first bringing about 40 people together who are a diverse group of people from health and arts and community services and leadership in a more traditional sense. Also, we tried to tried to get a group of people who might deal with hope and hopelessness and bring them together for, for four days to work on increasing the We've talked about increasing the capacity for hope and decreasing the likelihood of hopelessness. And, and so we're doing a lot of work at the beginning that is about trying to get past the shtick, right? That people have their, I do, I don't think I'm alone in this. Anyone who repeats themselves <laughs> uh, and has to because of their job, which leadership often is, right? How do you, how do you say the same things in different rooms? Mm-hmm. Then, then you sort of develop a performance of that, and that's great, and that's totally fine, and um, and I don't think is a sign of inauthentic inauthenticity, as the words work. Because I don't whatever that word means. Uh, so everybody has their thing, and so, but we do want to offer the possibility that there are other things, and that being open to those things even if just for five days is productive. So, so we, so we'll do a lot of things that are, you know, the good side of icebreakers, right? Like it's, it's trying to figure out what are the right things to loosen people up so that they're not performing 
their role. I mean, mm. we talk a lot in Hope Decoded about we just want these people, we want people to show up as themselves, not as the, you know, founding director of Small Wooden Shoe or the executive director of Alberta Theatre Projects. Mm-hmm. So we want Vicky, we don't want the job title. And so how do we create the conditions in which you as a participant feel safe enough to, to drop the job title mm. and just be yourself, which is uh, an amazing and incomplete person, right? Yeah. Because, because we never are, right? In this, you can, however you want to track this from Buddhism to Brecht, I can give you quotes about all the way through the bees, uh, of, <laughs> of what the power in the use of the incomplete is, right? Or the non-permanent. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, that, that, that's, I don't know all the answers and that that should in fact be a strength of leadership and that that's my capacity to admit that. And try to find the other people who in in my team or in my community who have the other strengths. Excuse me, and then join up in those. That's that's the sort of exciting distributed model. Uh, so yeah, I I think it's I can imagine that it's hard. It's a bunch of the work, um, and that work has to be done. Specifically, because if you're dealing with leaders, you're also people dealing with people who know all, you know, know all the games, think they know all the right. reasons that even you're doing icebreaker. You know, the it's and I feel like it's also true of artists getting through getting through the cynicism of too long experience with techniques being used haphazardly uh, or mediocrely is is part of that. And, and so, so that's where the sort of space design and program design. And that's, I mean, that's, that question is really what I'm interested in Uh and a little bit what various facilitators, like the facilitator's job is a bit to do that. And I think to, I mean, the safe space, which is a good and interesting transition into, I think that we wanted to talk about around disclosure. I mean, it's a, I was just setting up, you know, the the hope decoded hashtag, which is great, and I hope that it, you know, gets some conversation beyond this room going. But there's also going to be very clear moments where we have, I think, three or four events over the like, week that are put your hashtag away. Put your hashtag away. Where well, we have two two sessions where people will be asked to like, check their phones at the door, mm. check their devices at the door. Um, yeah. And then lots of things where we will say, like, this is what we are doing is creating a safe space. Uh, it's why we prefer photographs over any other kind of documentation. Mm. Like the capture, when we talk about capture. Right. Either sort of specific interviews with people so that they are very clear that they're being recorded and that's, that's what it's for. Or using photographs, and those those are in part to not have you know an audio recording device in the room, so that people feel that they don't have uh, to perform. They don't have to perform, and so we'll be we'll be very conscious about saying that around Twitter, and you know, because there's 
in 45 people. There's going to be a vast array of comfort levels. So we'll talk about early, we'll talk about confidentiality as a value and, and what, what and where people would like, because I think that's also up to the participants a bit, mm-hmm. um, how they would like to understand what confidentiality in this setting means mm-hmm. and, and what the relationship in the room to phones is. I mean, I don't, and I is want it- to, yeah. Yeah. There's so little con like the thing about you know I appreciate I appreciate being able to um, follow things on hashtags mm-hmm. um, sometimes when I'm not in the room but I always feel I always feel I uh, I was because I can't I can't find the actual context uh, often mm-hmm. for you know why someone said something and so it becomes um and I get a bit concerned particularly I get a bit concerned about um. Um, tweeted, which is usually it's somebody, I mean, it's somebody typing something. So mm-hmm. they can, uh, you know, a slight word adjustment, the way they heard it is a little bit different. There's no context attached. And so <clears throat> I often find, uh, I find that you, because there's so many different platforms now, you know, how do I perform to, how do I perform to hashtag as opposed to perform to the room? how many snappy, how many snappy sayings, <laughs> um, or what, what pieces are, it's always interesting to me when I'm in the room and then I look at the, I look at the, uh, follow the hashtags afterwards and I see what pieces got picked up and what pieces didn't mm-hmm. of a conversation. And I find that, I find that impulse uh, very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and sometimes I, it can, it concerns me a little bit. So it's, it is, it's, it's interesting too, you know, and, and even when we talk about phones and, and, um, and our relationship to rehearsal mm-hmm. in the rehearsal room, um, showing things that are uh, unfinished, there's a level of vulnerability. There's mm-hmm. a level of vulnerability that <clears throat> is a strength in, in what we do as artists. It's also, I think, a strength in leadership. Yep. Uh, but it, it, it's a, it's a very, it's a very difficult thing to communicate, particularly, particularly over, over the Twitter. Yeah. Um, because it's so, it's so human and it requires such presence, um, from the person who's vulnerable. Um, and I'm often, you know, as a, as somebody who thinks a lot about leadership, but also somebody who leads an organization, um, I, I'm often very aware of my own, um, humanity, mm-hmm. <laughs> my own vulnerability and how, how it, how it is or isn't being interpreted in any given moment. Um, because it's a great, I feel like it's a great strength. Um, but then, you know, I'll occasionally get, uh, interesting comments like, uh, you know, uh, that I should be more confident, <laughs> right? Like, or, um, or that I, I should work on my stress, stress management. Um, and I, I find that interesting cause I'm, I'm like, okay, uh, tell me a bit more about that because yeah. I think generally I'm pretty confident. I'm not, uh, blindly confident. 
in everything. I, I question things. Um, and in terms of stress, I, yeah, sometimes I, sometimes I'm stressed and I guess I could walk out of the office and wander away mm -hmm. until I'm less stressed, which would just be a little weird. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure if that's, you know, I'll, I'll just go hide while that's happening. Um, or, or working through it, which sometimes means, unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to be human right. uh, for a while, which, uh, you know, everybody wants you to do that, wants you to be yourself. But how that can sometimes be uh, interpreted, you know, vulnerability as a strength and a weakness. Some of our greatest strengths are our greatest weaknesses. And, um, uh, you know, I've decided for myself not to apologize for any of that. I, I, I'm interested in the feedback and interested in how it appears, but um, I'm not going to beat myself up for feeling beaten up every once in a while. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and I think the, you know, the, the reframing <laughs> that, that I would do around the question of, are you, um, like when you're stressed is leaving. I mean, on some levels I would say like, yes, like going for a walk outside is a great thing mm -hmm. to do when you're stressed. Mm -hmm. uh, sitting and, you know, doing some personalized version of a meditative practice. Great thing to do when you're stressed. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes. So on one level, I want to say yes, leave the room. <laughs> and, and we encourage such things. Um, because yeah, I think the, I mean, the question for me, and, and, I'm, and I'm new to what are seen as best practices in the field, and, you know, I'm coming at it from the same, in the same way that some ways that, that you are, from, from an artistic practice in which I understand a bunch of things about how rooms work mm -hmm. and how I work best in rooms and, and maybe how some other people do. I don't know what the sort of best, best practices of those are traditionally. Uh, but I think it's a, it's a big question all around, right? Because this thing of, can you perform? Can I show my vulnerability if I'm in a space where that's going to be judged as not being confident and therefore not correct, right? Yeah. Or not, oh. not the right action for a leader, or possibly echoed out and echoed even outside the room that you're in, right? Um, with you know, because the the farther and farther you get away from the source of the of the message or the vulnerability, yeah, um, the more uh, diluted or judged it could be. Absolutely, I think the I mean the Twitter question, like we will do very little to none, no live tweeting. Like there are a few moments where there might be live tweeting. But those are going to be the rare things, mm. you know, that because it's, you know, it's a every once in a while arts conferences will be like, oh, we should have like a live Twitter feed behind the speaker. And yeah. I just I just want to say to you all, um, if you are ever thinking of this, don't do it. Like tech did it for about a day and a half. Right. Tech conferences who mm. were obviously ahead of arts conferences in thinking about doing this so started doing it about 10 years ago uh, no probably not when when is twitter so three years ago four years yeah. ago yeah um always always much more recent than we think yes uh 
So they, because, I mean, one, this problem of then people are just going to talk tweetable talks, right? So you're going to talk in 140 one-line punchers, right? You want that, you want that simplicity and that, oh, I'm just going to, just going to say this thing and it's going to get tweeted and favorited and retweeted. And then the reality is also that the, you know, especially a big tech conference or whatever conference that the, the temptation, you're you're literally upstaging people. Like we in the arts should know better than, oh, we will put a more interesting live thing that is unpredictable behind somebody while they try to perform. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like it's, you're putting a dog and a child, you know, on a pedestal behind a performer who's maybe in fact delivering important but boring material, right? Or not. Yeah. yeah. So, or- so, yeah, so that stuff got nixed pretty quick. Um, also, of course, because there are trolls, right? So yeah. look how bald that dude is. You know, that becomes the, and that haha, right? Like then you, then you don't know what the joke is happening behind you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's still true online. Um, and I do. I think, I think that's right. I think there's things that technology is good for. Vulnerability is not particularly what Twitter's good for. It may not be what the internet's great for. <laughs> uh, you know, although then I, then I understand and sort of appreciate the places that long, you know, long posts with no comment section right like that's that's actually where the vulnerability can happen which is a weird thing because it's you can't talk back to it but in it's not being able to be talked back to it's it's actually a space where if somebody wants to you know if i write a blog post and somebody wants to email me that's fine i'm probably going to get less like you're a stupid dork uh why are you so weak uh (laughs) you know that's going to happen (laughs) less somebody emailing me directly than somebody grabbing a hashtag and jumping on it. Right. So well, it's, 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 it's grabbing the mic. It's, it's performing. It's another form yeah. of performance. It's not conversation. No. And, it, and, and so that's, that's just the reality of those forms. And I think there are, are better forms and people are making better ways to do internet, right. To do, mm-hmm comment moderation to do an understanding of how how those things can can work right walled gardens around because some at some levels it's great to would be great to go back to you know a talk or a moment and look at what people thought about it Mm -hmm. in the moment that would be really interesting um i don't want it to be the only conversation and i don't want it to be something that prevents me from feeling like I can say something out loud, which is similar in the, in the way that we're like into, to how I feel about rehearsal and creative processes that, that I've certainly stumbled against in even doing this podcast of how much of my work with other people is mine to talk about. Yeah. Given that I've actually been so selective in who I've worked with that, that my stories aren't too hard to figure out where they're from, right? Uh, I feel like other people who do a lot more freelance work for a lot of different companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm I'm very aware of, as a dramaturge especially, that 
that I'm near, I'm near to like patient doctor confidentiality. Yeah, I, I've I always I've always disliked when people have um, referred to me as a dramaturg, as a therapist, or right. as a therapist, even even a therapist for the play. Like, right. Yeah. Drives me a little bonkers because I don't. Uh, I, that makes me feel very uncomfortable. Um, Tell me more. But but I'm trying. But but I, I am highly aware mm-hmm. that I have. Um, like access to vulnerability. I mean, the act of creation is one of the most vulnerable things you can do. It is one of the most vulnerable things you can do is to, to actually try to say something to try just to stand up and say anything, much less write it down for posterity or stand up and perform it or ask other people to perform it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's an act of massive vulnerability. And, um, it's so the, the very nature of what we do is it is an act of vulnerability and i, I and i recognize and, and value that but i'm not sure how much i can like we can learn um without acknowledging without acknowledging and talking a bit about that that vulnerability and and what i mean by that is i had a conversation last week actually with a a board member of ours about some about something about something some initiative we want to start with the rest of the board. And um, I was talking about some particular feedback that I had received as a manager, which has been really resonant for me, which is that there's a sort of, there, when there's something in particular I want to change or I want to address with another person, um, that I, for a while, in order to not necessarily single that person out, mm-hmm. I would go into a meeting and I would say, um, everyone, we need to really pay attention to this. Um, I feel like we're not paying attention to this and uh, this thing, and I would like everyone to start paying attention to this thing. Um, and and I, <laughs> I, was, I was told afterwards... That, that that sort of vague way of telling everybody something when what it is is actually a specific thing that I want to say mm-hmm. um, doesn't actually help uh, yeah. matters. It, it's it's um, and you know as this board member and I co- coined the term air spanking. You just so, like you're spanking the air, but it's not actually hitting any anything. Like yeah. you're not you're not making contact. Yeah. Um, and that's the ne- that's the negative connotation on it. Like it's 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 like air yeah. managing, air yeah, you're, managing, you're coaching the air, right? Coaching not, the air, not actually not actually coaching the person, the person, um, and actually and and confusing them and everyone else in yeah. the room because they're like, I was paying so much attention to that. I was why I thought I was paying a lot of attention to that, and now you're saying we need to pay more attention to that. Yeah. So I, it, and it's yeah. and I feel like when we're talking about. You know, oftentimes when I talk about, say, process or mm-hmm. something I learned in a particular process, I can't, I can't be, I can't be vague mm-hmm. because I'm not actually being, I'm not actually specifically talking because I don't, I don't sit in process and go, amazing that sitting here in this process <laughs> taught me these things. It's usually that Asking that person, this particular person, this particular question, is what un, like unlocked something for them 
Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I asked ask other people those questions or, or that I, I understood something about my practice because of the specific answer that they gave. Now, sometimes that specific answer is, is attached to some very serious vulnerability. Yeah. Um, but which I think is beautiful. I, usually when I'm telling that story, it's, mm-hmm. not, because, it's not because the vulnerability was um, sh- like shameful or bad. Or, like, mm-hmm. It's because I find that kind of, I find that, as I said, that the, the vulnerable act of creating something is the bravest thing that somebody can do. So for me, um, when I think about that, that level of honesty, I want to share it with other people, but, but I become aware that um, uh, they may not want to, yeah. or I'm making a decision on their behalf yeah. um, about what they've shared, what they have, what they showed me that I may think it's as valuable. <laughs> I may think it's more valuable than all the gold in the world, but um, how I, how I'm, you know, making a, de- a decision about that treasure on their behalf feels um, difficult. And I've, I've gotten to the point now where I'll sometimes have a conversation with the person in advance and say, uh, uh, so I'm going to be asked to speak about this and you should know that um, the story of when I asked you what the play was really about mm-hmm. and you told me it was about your fear, um, your fear about the end of the world. Uh, I'm, I would like to repeat that. Is that all right? Yeah. Um, because I, you know, because I place a great deal of value on it and I want you to know that it, that I will place a great deal of value on it and not trivialize it. So there's, I've now tried to negotiate a level of, of, uh, of, um, stewardship with that, uh, with that, with with those instances, with those moments of vulnerability, um, so that I, so that they understand that they're respected and and that and the and that they they are valued. Um, but there's there's a lot of times when I I I would like to just when, when things occur to me and I want to explore them um, that I sometimes do bite my tongue a little bit, right? Because I'm I I'm a, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, not you know. I mean, I'm already thinking about my own vulnerability, right? Yeah. Um, but also thinking about another person's vulnerability, and usually, usually, you know, if 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 you've had that sort of moment with those with that with another person, you you care a great deal about them, and you want to protect protect that impulse. At least I usually do. Um, so it's one gets um, hung up a little bit. Uh, in understanding how to how to protect and, and value those moments, because I, I and I don't know what I'm fearing. Like, mm. what kind of judgment am I fearing from the people who are listening? That's another question that I have to ask myself. You know, most most of the time I, when I'm having these conversations, it's because somebody wants to learn, mm-hmm. um, and this is the best way for them to learn. And why would they take that? And why would they take you know? a story that I have, that I'm offering them that has value to me mm-hmm. and trash it. Um, you know, it's just the, f- the fear of other people's intentions is, is another concern. Absolutely. And the fear of, for me, the fear of, I mean, one of the largest 
largest offenses possible as you know somehow ingrained in me is is to humiliate someone else yeah uh and and humiliation being for me sort of roughly a, you know disclosing something about someone that they didn't know mm. or didn't want to be disclosed in that moment didn't want to be pointed to in that moment yeah and one of the issues you know with the the extreme of this stuff for me was working with the AIDS Committee of Toronto and doing peer support work, right? That was the peak of peer uh, facilitating peer support groups. So mm-hmm. I wasn't an expert. I wasn't there to help anybody. Like I was, I was there to guard the process along with a co-facilitator. And the level of confidentiality in those rooms is so intense. Like it is, we talk about when we walk by each other on the street, will we acknowledge each other? Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know if the person that you're with knows that you're a dramaturge. They might not. You might be trying to be in the, hiding that, right? You know, yeah. that's obviously the joke of if somebody is HIV positive or if somebody has, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody's in a support group for an ongoing issue, you know, that's why Alcoholics Anonymous is anonymous, all those things, right? That that's, yeah. That, you know, it's not cool to walk up to somebody you see on the street and say, like, hey, great, great speech at the Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, oh, this is your mother? She didn't know? Oh. Uh, yeah. You know, like that. That's, you know, that's the crazy example of the thing that I think we're, I feel like I'm trying to avoid in making sure that I consent to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Or that I can, you know, and I think what I just did is a very common tactic for me, at least, which is to find some other metaphor and, and abstract the thing that happened into a like clearly made up story about a thing that could happen, you know, that, that, that that's how I try to cope with it, but it's certainly a coping mechanism and it's not. Yeah. It's the question I can be vulnerable, but I'm, I'm not, I don't have carte blanche to be vulnerable for other people to make someone else vulnerable, right? To make someone else vulnerable is, is that to me is the humiliation and the problem Mm -hmm. and, and it's not something I want to do. Yeah. To talk about vulnerability then and to be it myself requires some dancing around that because all of my work is done relationally. There's always somebody else. I'm not a solo creator who sits down and writes, and and so what yeah how do i how do i deal with that in in then talking about the work or or being being honest about sharing my experiences of what happened right and and that's we're in a we're in a and we're in, added to that we're in a social sphere where we're going to work together again the community is so small that mm-hmm. that you know even if we avoid naming names again people like it's going to come around to us right that's you know the difference between even even talking about an experience inside a big company where where that is still that vulnerability and not making someone else vulnerable is still a, a desire it's it's such a closed area that I think I'm also aware that the confidentiality 
and the not wanting to say bad things about people in a quotable space or bad things about work or express doubt, right? I mean, I think one of the really harmful things about the state of theater these days, and I think it's probably applicable to other fields, is is that fear of, of everything has to be going well, right? Like social media mm-hmm. is a lie and it's a performance. Yeah. And that's great for some things. But I'm never going to tweet like, you know, OMG, after after today's rehearsal, I think I'm just going to quit the project and run away and never talk to these fuckers again. Hashtag. Uh, Out of here. You know, see my show. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, ATP Live. You know, uh, <laughs> you know this, this is not what's going to happen. And... And would be seen as a betrayal if I did, right? Like, if I did that, that would be, or, you know, uh, unuseful <laughs> thing. Well, uh, seen as one. And, and I think that, you know, tweeting out of that moment in rehearsal. But, but it's also deeply unuseful to not acknowledge that those moments happen. It, it is. It, 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 the, the other thing, too, that, that occurs to me and that I think about sometimes is um, at any given moment, if I have some constructive criticism or I'm struggling, would I, do I feel comfortable t- telling the people in that I'm, that I'm having the struggle with or that I have constructive criticism for, could I sit down with them and say what I'm saying to them, to mm-hmm. their faces? Yeah. Um, if not, well, I probably shouldn't say it. Yeah. Um, and, Usually, I find that I'm particular. Oh, I mean, particularly, you know, in in situations like this, um, or when I'm doing an interview mm-hmm. with somebody in front of an audience or something like that, which is my pref- my sort of preferred, you know, pa- panel discussions are my are my gig, man. Right. Um, interviews are my bag. Uh, yeah. So that's my jam, and uh, the. It, 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 how comfortable do I feel asking questions of this person that, that delve a little deeper? Um, what would I feel comfortable having a conversation about um, uh, or commenting on or offering constructive criticism to this person? Mm-hmm. Um, in what way would it be, you know, no one's perfect. I don't think I've, I, I don't think I'm, I'm always in the place where I'm asking these questions, mm-hmm. but but I'll, I will sometimes think, well, or often think, okay, so, hmm, someone just asked me what I thought about that show. Uh, would I, would I say what I'm about to say to, to the people involved af- well after the show's closed? Right. Because um, I, 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 never, I never like to talk about something while it's still happening. Yep. Um, I think that's a betrayal yep. in a way for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but would I be able to have this conversation with somebody later? And also tr- tr- trusting, um, trusting that they, that if it's, if it's actually constructive or it's actually um, useful and that the place that it's coming from is constructive or useful, mm-hmm. um, then can I, uh, 
then it, it then I need to actually trust their their intelligence yeah. enough to to know that they would be able to have this conversation or that they don't already know you right. know a lot of because I we assume that everyone that people know or don't or don't don't know couldn't possibly know um, that say that scene in that show didn't work all that well right chances are they do this right. is, this especially is, the actors like the actors yeah. are like oh nobody. Everyone checks their program during this scene. And usually the, the, the you know, I, I will often, when I'm dramaturging something, I'll say, you know, I've read it. I know what I think about it. Um, I think I know what I think is working and what I think isn't working. Um, one of the things I always do is ask the playwright before I say anything. I ask a whole bunch of questions. And usually one of the questions is, so what do you feel still needs work? What do you want to work on next? Mm-hmm. And usually, they have the same answer I do. Yeah. So, of course. Like, and maybe there's a couple of other things that I noticed, or there's something they noticed that I didn't notice. And then we can actually have an interesting conversation. But usually, it's not like I have to tell them what, you know, where, where the, what the state of their, their script is or what the state of the story is that they're trying to tell. They know. Um, right. and, and I want to trust other people's... Um, trust other people's intelligence and trust other people's um, sense of uh, openness and hope and their own. Uh, I want to. I want to tr- trust them as other human yeah. beings um, that they'll be able to. You know, particularly particularly if they've asked that, um, and I and I respect them, mm-hmm. which uh, you know, and always coming to it with a place from a place of respect. That we'll be able to have a good, a good, valuable conversation about it. That doesn't mean it's easy or not scary. Yeah. Um, that level of honesty and vulnerability, but it, that's sometimes the way that I'll, I'll try to put it in my in my mind when I think about well, how how do I want to talk? How do I want to talk about this? Yeah, yeah. I think that I think those things are great. I think you know the I said a couple of times it's the. Um, Linus Pauling, who was a physicist or a chemist and physicist who featured in uh, perhaps in a hundred years a little bit, uh, one of his quotes that didn't feature in the show was was uh, a variation on the golden rule, like do unto others as you would have them do unto you, plus twenty percent for subjective variance, <laughs> which I think is a great thing, right? Like, it's would I would I feel humiliated in having this story told? Um, would I want, would I have this conversation with this person face-to-face and mm-hmm. say these things? I think the face-to-face thing, I mean, I'm aware of that, that tension, the, the question of vulnerability and, and humiliation tension in, even in note-giving, right? And, and one of the things, you know, that I think I've seen you model and isn't, is sometimes problematic and sometimes not, which is that the a dramaturge giving notes just to the playwright, right? That a, uh, that I'm not, I don't want to say in front of a playwright, like, I think that scene's not working or mm-hmm. do I think that scene's not working, you know, in front of the playwright and the actors and, you know, that that was, mm. that, that question maybe is a private question. And, and more and more, I mean, this, I guess, refers more back to the, the coaching the air uh, mm-hmm. is is that more and more I give individual notes 
until until we're sort of in run mode where if those you know or i'll be giving some notes to the group and some notes to individuals in a group you know so vicky can you know you were a bit late on that line you caught that yeah yes um okay great yeah jacob i did yeah exactly okay great moving on don't rub it in yeah so we can have that little moment in the group and that's fine but if i want to have a long conversation with you about the arc and where, you know, whatever, what, whatever that conversation is, I'm more likely to do that in person, one-on-one, because I want you to be able to say something that you might not say in front of the group. I also, and this comes from dance more than, and, and, and I don't know, my own quirks. I'm fine with people having different understandings of what's going on in a moment on stage. And I'm aware that different people use different language to talk about how things are working. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it's necessarily useful to make the whole room talk one way. Um, Mm -hmm. Or for me, I find, I, I mean, I get super anxious if I, when I'm giving a certain kind of notes in groups like that's, that's one of the largest sites of anxiety for me is when I'm talking to the whole group yeah. uh, in, in a theater process. Uh, you know, in that, in the small, when I'm talking to the whole team at once, and, and that's partially because I just can't deal with the overwhelming amount of stimulation that I'm getting in that moment of talking to them. Mm. While also trying to think and trying to feel myself and so that overwhelming amount of stimulation, which, you know, by which I mean like, oh, I'm giving this general note because Vicky wants it, or I think, you know, it's, it's a note about this thing and I don't want to, you know, point someone out, but someone else is looking deeply confused and it's not helping and this person's bored, you know, all of that information mm-hmm. I find quite overwhelming and in those settings mm-hmm. I can... Because I'm not, I'm not trying to perform. I need to be at some levels performing the role of director. But uh, one of the things about performance, at least for me, is that I have to abstract all the individuals a little bit. <laughs> as much as I'm a fan in, in my work of looking at individual audience members, I'm also, I can't. You know, it's a, it's a group reaction. And if I fixate on the board person in the front that I'm in trouble, but, but a performance I can generalize and I've rehearsed and I'm trying to be open in myself, but I'm also rehearsed enough to know that I'm the degree in which I'm vulnerable has a, has a clear shape and a frame around it. Mm. But when we're inside the middle of the work, there's no clear shape or frame yet. No. And, and especially if we're inside the work that is trying to, push at borderlines of shape and frame. So if we're in a very traditional hierarchical situation, then maybe it's fine from, you know, and it's certainly, there are many, you know, artists and, and practitioners who make heavy use of humiliation and, (laughs) um, kind of group manipulation in a way that I'm not, comfortable with Hmm. Uh, 
It's, you know, the, okay, so somebody, and this, you know, I don't want to take us off on an entirely yeah, different, although I don't think it is, but last year um, at the Professional Association of Canadian Theatres Conference in mm-hmm. New Brunswick, um, somebody brought forward the question of whether or not um, we are too too safe or too nice now in the rehearsal hall. Mm. Um and this was mainly because they they grew up in a different they grew up in their career in a different system. Let me. Uh, okay, what what different system? Time or place? Uh, time, time, and and uh, and you know, old Brits. Yeah, yeah. Old Brits. Can you can you try that again? But uh, this time, would you mind? Would you mind acting? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So the old the old Brits the old. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, I, with all you know, I, I don't want to paint them all with the same brush, but sure. the the old um, the old abusive Brits yeah. <laughs> uh, that started the theater in this country, um, right. and the British came, the, the came history over here. of British is like, and them going to other places and starting things like there's never been any problems with that, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're welcome everywhere. Oh they're no, wait, very collaborative. Yeah. Um, so. Anyway, so yeah, so the the good old colonial model of of Canadian theater um, that a lot of people a lot of people who taught who who were mentors of mine yep. in my generation um, grew up under that system, mm-hmm. and you know that that's an that it was it's it's interesting. Um, I can't even imagine if they had Twitter back then what would happen. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like it just would have been uh, totally. I mean, for that matter, people could s- smoke and drink in rehearsal back in the day. So uh, there's a, and it was interesting for me to th- to sort of think about to ponder that for a moment because I, I feel I feel like I'm I'm much happier to be in this system than the mm-hmm. other, um, and how we. But the the interesting question was how we. Um, uh, push each other and ourselves right. um, to do better, be more rigorous, um, risk more, mm-hmm. uh, all those sort of things <clears throat> when we don't really necessarily t- uh, talk about um, what we're doing or, or we're not necessarily always always revealing um, what what happened in, in particular process or, or where we may or may not have succeeded. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't necess- we don't talk about our failures. Um, failures, like I'm using my that's me yeah, using yeah. my air quotes. And um, or or we only do after they've turned into success, right? I mean, so much of the the failure literature and fail, like it's so great to fail. Like that's a great story if you've like if you make Twitter, it's a great story that Twitter emerges out of a failure of a different program. Right, mm-hmm. like that. Those guys weren't working on Twitter; they were working on something that failed. And Twitter, and Twitter fun. emerged, right? So everybody yeah. should work on things that fail. And like, of course, that's not true, <laughs> right? That the you know, let's get together and work on something that fails in hope of like a second product being devised. Mm-hmm. That's not actually an incredibly useful way to go about things. Um, so. So, no, I, I agree that we don't talk about it. I also think that this thing of the challenge of getting better without humiliation, mm-hmm. right? That's, you know, and that's, 
that's I've just been around. I've spent a week with a lot of people who are in a sort of positive psychology space, and and all the literature is that it's way easier to get people to to behave the way that you would want them to through positive reinforcement. Right? Yeah. That that's that rather than say you sucked in that moment, say this moment is fantastic. Can you just turn up this thing you're already doing? Right? Like in this uh -huh. other, you know, using positive feedback to get there. And generally that, that to be, I mean, to be compassionate, it doesn't mean not being tough, right. Or yeah. not being rigorous uh -huh. that that's, and in fact that to let an actor or a play go up, while you think it's got major flaws or the actor is embarrassing themselves, that's not compassionate to anybody, no. including to the audience. No. Um, and so, so yeah, so I, I mean, and I'm guilty, right? That you just, do you let a moment go? You know, when do you make those those choices in a process, I think that's very hard, right? Like, well, is this going to correct? Like, there's something a bit wonky in this moment, knowing when to let it, you know, oh, the actor is working on it. And okay. I can see the actor working on it. And as long as they're working on it, I'm not going to give any notes. Um, when I feel like it's in a spot where I can give notes, then I'll give, you know, uh -huh. or they're ready for, for that conversation. I'll, I'll ask for that conversation because it's not, yeah, it's not a, a thing that is, that is about letting, letting things go. Don't, don't humiliate them by pointing out that a moment isn't working, nor is it like at the, in the first three days of rehearsal going like, God, you guys are all terrible. It's like, well, of course it's day three of rehearsal. <laughs> um, or, you know, the, one in my world that's so classic, which is the you you discover something through improvisation and it's amazing, and so you spend a few days setting it, and then you run it and it's terrible, and it has none of the magic of the improvisatory moment. Mm -hmm. And so then the, there's such a temptation to you know either have another improvisatory moment to to get that verve back. When often I think like, no, no, just let them run it four times. Like, of course it's going to be terrible. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the number of times I've, I've made that observation and need to make that observation for myself. I can be watching and going like, what is going on up there? Mm -hmm. And then like, oh, right. This is the first time we did it after the improv. And so it's going to be rough in this way. You know, what's interesting too, though, the, the you know, I, 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 I'm, I love the system and the system in which I work and the, yeah. I love the collaborative system in which I work. And <clears throat> I like, I like the level of respect mm -hmm. that I, that I am given and that I'm able to um, give. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing too, that, that i that I, I, I try to think about and, and is giving people some time. Yeah giving people some time, including giving myself some time. Um, one of the, th I, I hate when someone's run a scene and they, they turn to me, particularly in front of you, we were talking about this earlier, 
particularly in front of a whole group of people and go, what do you think about that, Vicky? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know. Or, or mm, I kind of have some impulses, but I don't really feel like I, I'm, I, please don't put me on the spot to talk about them. Um, and even sometimes when I've had, I've had a moment with somebody of, uh, of vulnerability or exchange of something that has led to a discovery or has led to a breakthrough. Yep. Um, I can't even, I can't even talk about what it is. Like a lot of these instances that I'm talking about often, um, I understand them two months, six months, mm-hmm. a year, a couple years later, and also allowing them to grow and change. I mean, there was one, there's one story that I, I had that I used for a while, which was, um, when I was a younger dramaturg, uh, I there was I was working with a director who it turned out didn't really like the play all that much, hmm. and but they took the job yeah. and they would complain to me about how they didn't like the play all the time. And as the dramaturg, I was like, uh, "Okay," and I was very very young. And I actually at one point said, "I think you have to just suck this up. You did take the job, mm-hmm. like like a sass like." And you know, I I would I would tell that story back in the day, um, right after it happened. And, you know, as a sort of, I don't know, badge of sassy honor. Yeah. Um, and now I think about it and I go, yeah, that was not probably the, I mean, (laughs) while I, while I I appreciate the sort of, I still appreciate the, um, sass of my response. Uh, and I, I still believe that I would have said something similar to that, to that, director yeah um but not necessarily in that particular in those terms um that story has grown and changed as well in the way that i think about it and so um even those those moments of disclosure or those moments that have taught me something i'm not going to know them right away and they're going to settle they're going to settle um and my thoughts about my thoughts about a scene or my thoughts about a show are going to grow and settle as well. And I I have to give myself that time and I have to give other people that time Mm -hmm. um, to respond. And that's another respectful thing. That's another respectful thing to do. Yeah. And I, in our, in our, in theater, our processes are designed to avoid such things, avoid such, you know, potential at reflection Mm -hmm. that if you're working six days a week, eight hours a day, there's not, you don't have time. For me, I mean, I'm maybe I'm slow. Like I think sometimes I think I'm that, or I need a lot of that back of the brain work, right? That's mm-hmm. sort of how I call it. Right? That you talk a bunch, you think a bunch, and then go wandering about and and you know think about other things and let and let some processing happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I work entirely on I almost in, pretty much entirely on new plays, right? Mm-hmm. And audience members will often say to me, are there going to be, I mean, are they going to, are there going to be any changes after this production? And I'll go, I I hope so. Mm -hmm. Because it's the first production, you know, like there, there's, um, there's a lot to learn. And I said, and I hope that, I hope that, you know, they, uh, every time, every time a, a play is picked up after premiering at ATP, I'm always, uh, excited that the playwright is going to have some time mm-hmm. to sit with it for a while, or the creators are going to have some time to sit with it for a while. Yeah. Um, 
and then make some informed, thoughtful changes because no matter how much you put into the front end of the development process, that performance in front of an audience is the is the final stage of it and teaches you <laughs> as much or more than the four years that you've been working on it or five yeah. years or one year. Um, and that, that, that requires some time and reflection, but often, you know, as we know, people don't get an opportunity to go back to things because it's always onto the next. Well, I think, uh, with, with a conversation coming about iterative development and why I believe in it, um, yeah. but aware of the time, uh, maybe, maybe that's, that's the next topic about like, is what is, yeah, what is the, the process that allows for that kind of development and that kind of learning? Mm-hmm. Are there better processes than the ones that we're currently using? Um, but, and why that's useful. Maybe we can, we can chat about that. Yes. Um, and maybe people can, can let us know what they think about those issues. Um, or anything we talk about, um, because how and how can how can they how can they how can they let you know, Vicky, um, in say 140 characters, what they think about? Well, they this. could they could tweet me. Yeah. Uh, at Vicky Storich, V I C K I S T R O I C H. All right, um, and I'm I'm at Jacob Zimmer. Um, the the show notes, which will be some links to things we mentioned. What did we mention? We'll have to check that out. Uh, the yep. show notes and and download and iTunes subscription, all of that, smallwoodenshoe.org, and just follow through to podcasts. And you can find us on the iTunes. Uh, on the iTunes, we're there. And, and give us a nice high rating. That will help us show up to people. And, and just pass it on to your friends if you think uh, these conversations and you have somebody who it, they would be useful for, pass them on. Uh, we, uh, and we like hearing from people. We do. And you know what just occurred to me? Yeah. We don't, we don't have a hashtag for this. No, I guess a hashtag would urge is, there's not, it's, it's nice because it's clear. Mm-hmm. of most things so urgy urgy podcast let's do urgy podcast i think urgy podcast is good urgy podcast is good because otherwise right. otherwise you might just have urges yeah you that would be, you'd just be a like, whole other ball of hashtag want, want to go outside urgy yeah, yeah i'm being polite about which possible <laughs> urges <laughs> i might have <laughs> um there's some there's some disclosure we'll keep there's that. some disclosure yeah, that yeah we don't need at this point um Thanks, Jake. All right. Thanks, Vicky. Um, I will talk to you soon. You bet. All right. Bye. Bye. Music, music, music.